But the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter starts off by saying, hey, don't forget. And it's the second time he said this to us in this chapter, chapter 3 of Second Peter. It's an interesting thing because I think Peter knows uh, that when false teachers are around us, when our world is dimly lit, as, w- as we've said it, when it's hard to know what truth is, it-, it seems like it is easy to forget some of the elementary truths that we know about God. It seems like some of the theological foundations that, that we have come to and we have built our lives upon become difficult to see in the face uh, of people telling us things that are not true. And so the first thing Peter says to these people is, hey, I don't want you to forget. It's not like I'm teaching you something new. It's not like this is something different that you've never heard before. But instead, it's just something that I don't want you to forget. I want you to remember it because other people are teaching you something different. I think in our lives, the same needs to be remembered. It seems like in our world with the internet and the TV and the radio and millions of forms of communication, it seems, and all of these opinions and ideas coming at us, sometimes it's easy for us to slip away from the foundational truths that we have already known and already come to in the Christian faith. And Peter is going to say one of those foundational truths for for the Jewish people, something that comes from the Old Testament. But he's just looking at them and saying, look, I realize in light of all these people and in light of all of these teachings, it is difficult for you to remember the truths of God. And so here's something that I do not want you to forget. And he says that a day is like a thousand years for the Lord and a thousand years are like a day. Now, this is speaking from Psalm 90, if you were to go to the Old Testament. And that's why the Jewish people knew it. The the people that he is talking to have have heard this statement before. It's not new to them. And that's because it's in the Old Testament, Psalm 90. Specifically, Psalm 90, verse 4 is in mind. It says, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Now, when we come to this passage, and Peter reiterates what's been said in Psalm 94, He has something very specific in mind. This isn't coming out of nowhere. And if you've been here, you know this. If you haven't been here, let me catch you up to speed. Peter is teaching us how to know truth in a world that is full of people teaching non-truth, teaching things that are false. And and Peter has given us some really great ideas on, on how to do that, some specific things on how we can determine truth. He calls it knowledge throughout the book. But the specific item that he has in mind is is that the, Jesus is coming back. And what the false teachers have been saying is that because Jesus had not come back yet when Peter is writing this book, it means that he is not coming at all. They saw that the apostles and the disciples and Jesus himself said, I am going to come soon. And they said, well, he hasn't come soon in our minds. And so therefore, he must not be coming at all. And so Peter is trying now to to really hit home what he has been saying the whole time. That is, Jesus is coming back. And the reason for his delay is what Peter is telling us here. And that is that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. And so what Peter is saying to these people is, look, God's time is not your time. Now, if you went back to Psalm 90 and you read the whole, the whole chapter there, Psalm 90, go home and do that today. It will be good for you. What you'd find is that the whole passage 
is about the brevity of man in comparison to the eternality of God. God is forever. God has been forever. Man's lives, men's lives are short. Uh, they come and they go like wind or like a flower uh, that will die as soon as fall hits. And so that whole chapter talks about how we are short-term beings, at least on this earth, but God has been around forever. And what we see in that is something that I think is easy for us to recognize in life. And that is that the shortness of our lives, the 80 to 100 years that hopefully we have on this earth, it really gives us a skewed view of time. A view of time that is not God's view of time, that is really not accurate. Uh, one author says this, The desire of the psalmist is to contrast the eternity of God with the short span of human life. What St. Peter wishes is to contrast the eternity of God with the impatience of humans' expectations. And, and really what that does for us is it helps us to know that man's brevity gives us a warped perspective on time. A book outside of the Bible says this, and it sums it up pretty well. For in a little time we are born, and in a little time do we return. But with thee the hours are as the ages, and the days are as the generations." And so what Psalm 90 teaches us and what Peter is reiterating to us is that because of our short time on this earth, we really have a messed up view of time. It is not the same as God's view of time. God looks at a thousand years like a day and a day like a thousand years. But we look at a day as a day, right? And that isn't how it should be. Now, this is easy to illustrate in our lives, I think. And you may not even know it, but... But as you get older, no matter what age you're at, you start to see the shortness of life, right? And what used to be a really long time to you is no longer a really long time to you. I'm 28 years old, and it's already happening to me. And so when I'm Vic's age, uh, who knows what's going to happen, right? Time is just going to be flying by. And, and, and so we know that that is the case, right? You tell a child, hey, you need to wait five minutes, and it seems like... In eternity to them, right? But you tell uh, somebody that's 90 years old, hey, you have five minutes to live, and, and it's really quick to them, right? And so perspective on time is different based on how long you have been around and, and how you are looking at things. And God has been around forever and will be around forever. And so picture the difference in time and how he sees it versus humans who have just been here 28 years or 65 years or something in there, right? And so Peter is saying to us, look, the reason that these false teachers think that Jesus is never coming back is because they see a short time with a warped human perspective. And so when Jesus says, hey, I'm coming back soon, it doesn't mean a day. It doesn't mean a month. It isn't on our time scale. It's on his time scale because he is the God of the universe. And so Peter makes clear to us right up front, hey, the false teacher's teaching is false because logically it doesn't make sense. God's view of time is not the same of ours. And just because God has not come back yet does not mean that God is not going to come back at all. Now, he flips it around and says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And, and, and he flips it, perhaps, in order to say this. Hey, just because God hasn't come back yet, and just because it, it seems longer than it should be, it doesn't mean that it's not going to come quickly. Throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, we see this, this, uh, uh, this paradox, seemingly, in our minds, that Jesus is going to come back soon, but Jesus uh, is going to wait to come back. 
And that doesn't make any sense in our human brains that have a hundred years of life, right? It just doesn't add up. But to God it does. But Peter is reminding us not only that God is still coming, but that God may come back quicker than we expect Him. God came further away than these people, these false teachers expected Him, but He's going to come quicker than some people expect Him. In fact, to the unrepentant, He is going to come a lot quicker than they expected. People that have not given their lives to Jesus will say, oh no, He's here already when Jesus returns. And so Peter wants us to see that our time is not God's time, and and so the argument that God has not come back yet is not good enough to say that God is not going to come back at all. Now, Peter says the reason for this. Peter says, hey, the reason that God has not come back is because God wants people to repent. God is waiting in his patience for people to come back. Verse 9, I'll read it again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what Peter says here is, look, God is not coming back because he is late. God is not late. God is instead patient. These people are looking at Jesus and they're saying, man, that guy said he'd be back quickly. He's not here. He's late. uh, And he's probably not coming at all. You've been there, right? Somebody's 20 minutes late and you're like, ah, that person's not even going to show, right? We've all been there before. Many people have been there waiting for me, I know, uh, in this congregation. Uh, and, and, and this is how they're looking at Jesus. They're saying, man, he's late. He, he said he'd come and he hasn't come. And, and so therefore he's not coming. But Peter says to us, I think something that's so profound and we have to pay attention to it. He says, look, it's not lateness, it's patience. He is looking at this dying world and he is desiring that every person will repent. And so he is being slow, if you want to call it that, and coming back for the purpose of grace and mercy. We watched this video, right? And and we saw a, a world that has not heard about Jesus. And I believe that one of the reasons Peter would tell us that Jesus is waiting to come back is because the world has not all heard about Jesus yet. There are people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And so God is waiting for those people to be able to hear about Him and, and be able to know about Him and accept the gift of the cross uh, where He died for our sins. But I think on top of that, Peter is saying, look, it's not just people who haven't heard, it's all people. I'm waiting for the perfect time when the most people will come to me and know me and, and then I can come back and, and see the least amount of people sent to hell. Because that is the truth. If, if people are unrepentant and Jesus returns, then we uh, know from other places in Scripture that they don't get to go to heaven with Him. But instead, it's destructive and it's like a thief in the night as we see in this passage. And Jesus is going to send them to an eternity of punishment. And so God is not late. He is being patient, wanting all people to repent and turn to Him. Now, what's interesting about this passage is it doesn't just say all people. It actually specifically is talking to the Christian people. It it says you. It doesn't come out very good in the NIV translation. And and so uh, what Peter is saying is is not just, hey, I want want all people to repent, non-Christians. He's saying, I also want you people to repent and live for me. I want you people to stop doing some of the things you're doing and, and start doing the things that I've asked you to do and start living for me wholeheartedly. And, and Peter's audience, as we've seen, is, 
is an audience that, that has some people who are giving in to false teachers. They're starting to believe the lies of the false teachers. And the false teachers are saying, hey, Jesus isn't coming back, and so you can do whatever you want. You can go out and you can commit adultery, you can have sex, you can be greedy, you can live entirely for money, you can do whatever you want. That's what Peter's false teachers that he's talking about are saying. And some of the people have given in to those lies. And Peter's looking at them and saying, look, God is waiting partially so that you will repent and you will start to live for Him. Now, this is a crazy thing, and we need to have it in our minds. God is sitting up there, and He's waiting for you and I to, to live our lives for Him. And He's waiting for this dying world to live our lives for Him. And a day is like a thousand years to Him, and so really what we know from that is that we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we do know He is coming back, and it's going to mean eternal destruction for the unrepentant, and it's going to mean eternal life for those who have repented. And so what God is saying and through Peter is, hey, I want all people to turn and live for me. Even if you're a Christian and you have sin in your life, right now I want you to turn and live for me because you don't know when I'm going to come back. The Jewish people understood this pretty well. It goes back to, to have a... Habakkuk, um, which is probably Habakkuk, and so uh, Habakkuk 2.3, if you will, I like it better like that, it's more fun to say. Uh, it says this, For the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. The Jewish people used that verse, Habakkuk 2.3, as the primary verse for their understanding on the delay of, of, their, of their salvation and, and of God coming and rescuing and redeeming them. And, and they, they looked at that verse and they understood it and they understood their theology just like Peter is teaching it. That God is waiting so that they can have a time of, of repentance. If you look at the Israelites in the Old Testament, which I think Peter definitely has in mind, you start to see this pattern where God will save them and then they stop living for God and then He waits. And He, he desires them to repent and He waits and He waits and He waits until He can wait no longer and then He punishes them and then He has to save them all over again. And right now in our world today, we, we are living in a time where God is waiting to, to unleash His wrath upon this world uh, because He desires out of His grace and mercy for all of us to repent and start to live more fully for Him. And so I want you to see this today. I want you to see what Peter is saying. Look, you don't know when Jesus is coming back. And so now is the time for you to give your life to Jesus or to start living more fully for Jesus. We have this idea in our heads that we can wait, that, that, that maybe someday I'll start to live for Jesus. Maybe someday I'll accept Jesus because I don't want it to get in the way of my fun right now. Maybe someday I'll, I'll do that mission trip. Maybe someday I'll start to serve the church. Maybe someday I'll treat my spouse, my kids better. Maybe someday I won't be focused on making money, but I'll really focus on the important things in life. Maybe someday, and Peter says, look... Your someday is not the same as God's. You don't know when He's coming back because your time frame is warped by your shortness of life. And so you need to repent now while God is waiting to judge the world. And so I offer that to you today. The first thing that Peter is saying to us is, look, God's lack of return right now is for your repentance so that you can start to live the life that He has called you to live. And I encourage you to make that decision today because we don't know if God is going to come back tonight or in a million years. 
Verse 13, if you'll skip a few verses with me, say this. starts with this, excuse me. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Now, the promise that Peter has in mind here is the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus where we see a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this is not intended uh, to say that the world is going to be destroyed. Uh, That's part of it. But it's really intended to say, look, this world is going to be recreated in a way that is more wonderful and more perfect than today. Romans 8.21 says this, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. And so in Peter, we see this idea that the old world order, this world order that we live in, is, that's sinful and has pain and has destruction and has hurt and all the things that we don't like about our lives and about this world, that's all going to go away. And a new heaven and a new earth is going to take its place where there's perfection. And believers will get to enter in and live in this new heaven and this new earth in perfection forever with Jesus. And that is what Peter teaches us in his first book and his second book. And he says here something new, that righteousness dwells there. And I think it's maybe a twofold meaning. First of all, righteousness is, is what will be there, right? It will be perfect, and we'll have perfect relationships with God, and we won't see sin, and we won't see uh, people dishonoring God and, and doing things that they shouldn't be doing and, and messing up your thanksgivings, right? We won't see all of that in this world to come. But I also think that that Peter has the meaning of this, that the righteous are the only ones who will dwell there. The people who have given their lives to Jesus, who have accepted his gift of the cross, are the only people who get to live in this new heaven and this new earth where perfection is the standard. And so Peter reminds us once again that it's not everybody who gets to come into this new heaven and the earth. It's the people who say, look, I know Jesus died for my sins, and so I am going to give my life to him. Those are the people who get this. That is where righteousness dwells. And then Peter says something that I think we skip over. We kind of uh, think about, we, we like the idea of it, but we seldom do it. He says, looking forward to this. He says, looking forward forward to this. Now, Peter isn't just saying that we need to look forward to the return of Jesus. He's saying that we need to eagerly expect it. That's another translation that I like better. We need to have the return of Jesus at the forefront of our minds. Peter is saying to us that we need to be driven by the return of Jesus. We need to allow the light of the Lord's return guide our lives. We've been talking about how to know knowledge and how to know what we should do and how to know what truth is. And and I think what Peter says in this passage of Scripture is that in the front of our lives, in, in in the horizon of everything we do, must be the fact that Jesus is going to come back. And I think that with everything else we've seen Peter say, what happens is is that we say, man, Jesus is coming. He's going to destroy things, he's going to judge people, and he's going to give me eternal life. And if we'll put Jesus out there in front of us and make that where our eyes are set, then we start to live a life of truth. We don't give in to false teachers because we say, man, that isn't what 
Jesus taught, and I know he's coming back. And we don't get distracted by the things in life that might pull us away from doing what is right or believing what is right. Because we see, hey, this guy named Jesus is going to be here with me someday. And I think even on the opposite end of that, we are encouraged and we are hopeful because we know that the hurts and the pains of this life fail in comparison to the moment when the new heaven and the new earth arrive upon us at the return of Christ. And so if we have Jesus in mind and his glorious return, then we can begin to know truth and to live out truth and to live out the things that God has called us to live out in our lives. He says, look, uh, you need to not just... Have this in mind and know that it's coming, but you need to make it a driving force in your life. What Peter says next, I think, is is just simple but so profound at the same time. He says, because you have this in your mind, because you have this in your mind, make every effort to live a spotless and blameless life. The word means diligent, and, and, and Peter uses it also of a diligence in, in 1, 5 through 7. And uh, The word also can mean, and, and I like this better, to make haste, especially as manifested in diligence, earnestness to do the utmost. So what Peter is saying is not just, you know, try hard at this whole righteousness thing. He's saying, look, hurry up and get to living for Jesus because you know he's coming back. Now... Just from my own personal life, I, I think that there's a couple examples that really, that really help me to understand this. The first uh, is that uh, I am a procrastinator. Um, my dad can tell you that better than anybody. Ask him after the service. One time, I decided for a project in high school to do a medieval times cookbook. This was before the, the internet was readily available. And so there's no way to really do this at midnight, right? But I decided to start at midnight when it was due at 8 in the morning. And, uh, and so my dad was up with me until 6 in the morning. And my stepmom, I should uh, give her credits or else I'll be in trouble later. Uh, and, and we worked on it diligently, right? And, and the truth is, when you come up against a deadline and, and you know it's there, and when you can see it right in front of you, you start to work on things differently, right? It's not like, oh man, it's midnight, it's due at 8 in the morning, I can put this off another hour. You go, oh no, I better get this done right now. And you've probably all been there, I, I think anyway, I hope that you've all been there, it'll make me feel better about myself. But uh, but that's kind of how it works as, as, as people, right? And I think one of the things that Peter is saying to us is, is simply, look, you need to put the Lord's return in your eyes. You need to be focused on it and let that light drive you because you know it might come really soon. And so right now in this moment, you need to, as you look at that, diligently strive to live for Jesus. It's coming quickly. And so you need to right now be a person that lives a life of righteousness. Now, the other example is, is more straightforward for me, and it's this. The people that I know that live for Jesus most fully are the people who most clearly are excited about the return of Jesus. This is without fail. People who, who sit around and say, man, I would love it if Jesus came back today. I would love it if Jesus would come and take me home right now. These are the people who always, 100% of the time, live more fully for Jesus than people who do not have that in mind. And so what Peter says is not just, it's not just theoretical. I think it's very practical. 
If we know that Jesus is coming back, but not just know it, but if we're focused on it, and we say, someday I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I'm going to look him in the eyes. It might be sooner. It might be later. I don't know because my time, my timeline is all messed up as a, as a short-term human being on this earth. If we have that in mind and say, it's coming, and it might come today, and I hope it's coming today because I want to see Jesus, then we will start to live more fully for Christ. We will start to live a life of knowledge and of truth, not listening to false teachers, not listening to the lies of Satan, not listening to the lies of the internet and TV and radio, but listening to the eyewitness testimony of the apostles and listening to the Word of God and what it has to say to us and listening to the Holy Spirit that is inside of us, guiding us and teaching us how to go about our lives. And so Peter is saying to us what I think I've already seen over and over and over again in my life, and that is this, if we will put Jesus and his return in the forefront of our minds, then we, will, we can begin to live the life that God has called us to live. He goes on and he says, to be found spotless and blameless. And both of these terms are, are references to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so while we look at it and we say, well, that just means a life of purity, I think Peter has something more in mind. Peter isn't just saying, hey, remove the garbage from your life. Peter is saying, look, because Jesus is coming back, because you have that in the forefront of your mind, live a life of sacrifice. Now, sometimes in America, it's difficult to think about that, right? It's difficult to to think sacrifice at all because we hardly know what that means anymore. Uh, we, we really don't get the concept of sacrifice. And so it's a little bit difficult for us to understand it, but I, but I think we at least have some kind of working knowledge of what a sacrifice is, right? It is, it is, it is laying down something of, of ourselves for something else. Uh, you know, we have great examples of it uh, in our country because we have troops who are over there fighting for us right now, willing to die for our freedom, and we see sacrifice in that every day if we'll open up the newspapers. But we also see it most clearly in the person of Jesus, who, who said, look, I see that you are a wretched sinner and, and there's no way for you to get into heaven, but I am going to come and I'm going to sacrifice for your behalf and die for your sins so that you may have an eternal relationship with me in heaven forever and ever. That is what Jesus did for us. And so when Peter says, look, you need to be found spotless and blameless, he actually uses with the word spotless a word that was used of Jesus because of Jesus' perfection and what he did for us on the cross as the sacrificial lamb of God who died for our sins. And so Peter is not just saying, hey, get rid of the sin. That's the easy thing, right? And that's what we, we are driven by most of the time in Christianity today. I just need to get rid of the bad stuff in my life. That is not what Peter's saying. He's saying as you look out there and you see the return of Jesus and you are focused on it and you are driven by it, sacrifice for God. Give up your life for the good and glory of God. You know Jesus is coming. You know what you have to look forward to. And so right now in this moment, don't make it all about you. Make it all about Him. Peter looks at us and he says, look, first of all, in verses 8 and 9, you don't know when Jesus is coming back. Just because it's taking a long time doesn't mean it's not going to be in a short time. And just because it wasn't a short time doesn't mean it's not going to be a long time. You don't know because your, your view of time is, is all messed up. And, and he says, look, because of that, you need to right now have Jesus in mind and his glorious return. And out of that, you need to start to live a life 
of sacrifice. And then at the end of this, this chapter, in the end of our book, he, he says this, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Peter says, look, now I've warned you, so it's time for you to get to work. So I just wrote this whole book, and it, it, it talked about how there's false teachers out there. It talked about how you can know what knowledge is. And it talked about the fact that Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead. And you're going to, to sit in front of Him and spend eternity with Him if you've given your life to Him. And because you know all of this, you need to do your best to not be carried away by the lies of this world. Because you know how you can have knowledge and truth, you need to not allow the falsities that exist in our world today take you away from your secure position. Now again, as you read commentaries on this, it's split. Some people say, well, he's talking about losing your salvation. Other people say, well, he can't be talking about that because you can't lose your salvation. And again, I'm going to stay opinionless uh, on this and, and just say this. The Bible makes clear that if you ever stop living for God, if you are not living for Jesus, then you are not bound for heaven. The Bible makes clear that all Christians live for Jesus. That is the truth. And so if you look at your life and, and you're not living for Jesus, then you are not a Christian. That's it. And you are not bound for an eternity in heaven with Him, period, in the story. That's the picture that the Bible paints. And so Peter says here, look, don't fall from your secure position. And we don't know whether that means uh, lose your salvation or uh, you probably have an opinion or if that means give up the security that you have. But either way, I, I would hope that you would get his main message. And it's plain and simply this. Because you know that this world is trying to pull you away from doing the right thing, from believing the right thing. Because you know that, and Peter has showed you how to avoid that, it is now your job to start to live out the things that Peter has said to us in this book. And then he gives us two examples. To grow in grace. I think this means to understand the grace of Jesus more and more and what he did for us on the cross. But I also think it means to start to be more gracious to people, to love people more, to be more like Jesus. And then he says to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. And so at the very end here, we come back to the word that we've talked about the whole time and a couple of reminders are important as we close this book of the Bible. The first is that Peter uses knowledge in, in two ways. Uh, the first is, is the relationship that we have with Jesus. And when we accept the gift of, of salvation that Jesus offered us on the cross, in that moment we come to a new knowledge. We have a new understanding of the world and, and a new understanding of, of really what the world is all about. But he also uses a different word that talks about growing in that knowledge and, and how we can know more about the Christian faith and how we can live more fully for Christ and understand what is right and what is wrong and what is moral and what is immoral and all of those things. And that's the word that he uses here. And so at the very end of his book, he reminds us once more, hey, just because you know Jesus doesn't mean that you need to stop learning to know Jesus learning to know what he wants, learning to know what is right and what is wrong. And you need to continue to grow in that. Now let me just remind you, because I think it's appropriate what we've seen in this book on how we can do that. The first way is that we need to accept Jesus as our Savior. Peter makes clear in the first chapter of Second Peter that the only way to begin to understand truth is through a relationship with Jesus. We cannot know what true knowledge is apart from Christ. 
The second thing that we need to do is we need to strive to live for Him. We need to strive to believe the right things. And Peter says, look, as you strive to live for God, and as you strive to believe the right things, then you will start to believe the right things and start to do the right things. And you can't just sit back and say, hey, I hope I figure out what to do. No, you need to right now in this moment be doing your best to live for God. And then Peter says, hey... You can know knowledge through my eyewitness testimony and that of the apostles. We hung out with Jesus. We talked to Jesus. We saw Jesus in all his glory. And so don't believe the lies of the internet and of all the false teachers. Believe what I say because I hung out with the guy that you have given your life to. And he says that the prophetic word, the Bible, is the next step in knowing what is right, what is wrong, what is true, and what is not, understanding knowledge. And so the next way that that we can grow in our knowledge is to open up the word of God and take it in and, and say, what is it that God teaches me is true? Because Peter tells us that the Bible is not just a book of man, but a book that was divinely inspired. And then he says, as you look at the lifestyles of people and and you look at their false teachings, you can recognize them as false teachers by the lives that they live. And you need to remember their destruction is coming. And so you shouldn't follow them. And then our passage today says, look, to wrap it all up, you need to focus on the return of Christ. And so as Peter closes this book and he, he says, look, I want you to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. What he's saying is, hey, go out and do the things I've said to you. Go out and and, and stand firm in the truths that I've taught you throughout this book. Now, I'll throw up, if Bryn has it, our our graphic for this series. And and it's on all of your prayer sheets. um, And and there's symbols that represent each of these things. The glasses of godliness, the eyewitness accounts, um, the light of the word of God, the fire of the false prophets, uh, and the return of Jesus, which is a light really to us. And I would encourage you, as you go through life, you know, keep it in your Bible if you want to, or, 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 or just keep these symbols in mind, because they represent for us everything that we need to live a life that honors and pleases God. It's a really cool book, because it, I can't ever stand up here and preach to you in five weeks everything that you need to know about life. I can't teach to you the whole Bible. But what Peter says in this book of the Bible and what we've seen in the last five weeks are five principles that no matter what the situation that we're facing, no matter what the teaching is that is bombarding our beliefs, no matter uh, what the world around us is saying is, is right and we feel like it's wrong, these five principles can always keep us grounded in the faith and doing the things that God has called us to do. And so when we leave here, I just, I really ask and I, I even beg you to not just say, well, that was a good series, whatever, Second Peter was great, but to put these five principles in mind. Whenever you're facing difficult situations, difficult decisions, difficult beliefs being thrown at you, I, I would encourage you to return to these things and say, man, how is it that I can know what truth is? How is it that I can know what real knowledge is in this dimly lit world. If we will do that, then, then it won't matter the situation. We will always know what we should do to honor and glorify God. And that is something that we should do because as Peter closes it, I'll say it once uh, just with him, to him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. And the truth is because of what Jesus did for us on that cross and because of who God is in his very being, he deserves for us to follow these principles and live fully for him. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And we can glorify him by following these principles and living a life of knowledge in this dimly lit world. Will you pray with me? I thank you for these tools. I thank you for...
giving them to us, God. And, you know, it would have been easy for you to say, hey, I want you to live for me, figure it out. Um, But you didn't do that, God. You even left us a book to remind us about the tools that you have given us to live a godly life, a life of knowledge. And I pray, Lord, that we would take advantage of that, God. We thank you that you've given us your word and and you've taught us how we can know what truth is, God. But I pray that we would put into practice those things, God, because learning about them is not good enough. And I think maybe that's why Peter comes to the end of his book and he says, hey, since you've already heard this stuff, now you've got to go live it out. And I pray, God, that 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 would be our attitude as we leave here today. Because we've heard these things, we would begin to live them out, God. I ask, God, that when when we have a tough decision to make, God, we would would look at, at these things, Lord. We would strive to live for you. We would open your word and see what your apostles had to say in the rest of the Bible. And, God, we would look at the lifestyle of, of people who are, are not following you. And, and, God, we would remember that you are coming back soon. God, it's a complicated world we live in, and we absolutely need your help. And we thank you for these tools, but we pray that your spirit would always guide them back to them, God, because it's so easy. It's so easy just to get caught up in the distractions and, God, the clutter of all of the stuff that exists today, God. So I pray, Lord, that, that your your spirit would guide each Christian in this room, God, to, to come back to real knowledge and not ever give in to fake knowledge. God, I pray for anybody in this room who doesn't know you, God, because what Peter teaches us, what you teach us through Peter, God, is that they are walking in a fog. They are living a life of darkness. They may not even know it because they've never experienced anything else, God, but uh, I know, God, that life in the light is a lot better, Lord. And so I pray for anybody in this room that, that doesn't know you as their Savior, that has never put on the glasses of godliness, God, that they would give their lives to you, Lord, that they would come to salvation and choose to repent while you are being patient, Lord. I thank you for the patience that you have offered us, the time that you have granted us to repent, God. And I look at my loved ones, God, the people that I care so deeply about that don't know you, God. And I thank you for the patience that you are demonstrating to them. And I ask that you would bring them to relationship with you. And I pray that for the loved ones of people in this room who do know you, God. But they look at, at others and they say, man, if Jesus comes today and, and they don't know him, then they're going to be destroyed. And I pray that you would bring those people, whoever's in their hearts and their minds, to salvation right now, God. Lord, use our Lottie Moon offerings and use our missionaries throughout the world to bring people to you so that when you return, it's a glorious day and not a horrible day for for more and more people, Lord. Thank you for your grace, God. I thank you for dying on a cross to save us. And I pray these things because you did that. Amen.